discovering and rediscovering the Father's love is the greatest gift that we can experience in this life. We have a heavenly Father who watches over us, who cares for us, who protects us, who provides for us, who showers us with not just his attention, but his affection, his love, day by day by day. And the greatest discovery of our lives is discovering his love and then rediscovering his love uh, day by day, week by week, year by year. And I hope that you've discovered this love. Many of us, myself included, have had amazing earthly fathers, and we thank God for them. But all of us can have a perfect heavenly father. And what we've seen as we've trekked through 1 Thessalonians is that we have a father who has a plan for us and a plan for how we live our life together as his children that we call the church. A church is a group of people who belong to God, who have been adopted into God's family and follow the ways of Jesus together. And so today I want to help us think about what it will look like for us to live and continue to live as a considerate community. A considerate community. What, what we're going to see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, is that Jesus' people, that's, that's how I like to refer to the church. Who are we? We are Jesus' people. You, you, you hear that? You, you feel me? So, so we are people who follow Jesus, who are characterized by Jesus in our lives. And as Jesus' people, we live as a community marked by considerate love. Look at how we see this in the text as Paul gives us some very clear guidance for how we relate to one another, not just as people to our leaders, but to one another as well. Look at what he says. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This morning, as we consider these words of teaching and instruction from the Apostle Paul, I want to give us two encouragements on how we can live as a considerate community together as we follow Jesus, right? The first one is this. Show your leaders love and honor as they serve. Show your leaders love and honor as they serve. Now, I want to say at the outset, as one of your leaders... <laughs> as one who serves as the lead pastor of this church, that this is, this is only just a little bit awkward because this encouragement can 
seem to be very self-seeking, right? It's like, hey, love me, guys, honor me. But this is coming from the Apostle Paul, who was one of the preeminent leaders, not just of one church, but of the early church as a whole. And he understands that, that God assigns leaders. Listen, not just pastors, all right? I'm one of our pastors. We have three pastors right now. I'm redemption. We're going to add more in the future. But this is a word for every kind of leader in the church, whether we're talking about pastors, whether we're talking about ministry leaders that we call directors, whether we're talking about group leaders or team leaders or coaches who lead leaders, uh, this is a word for all of our leaders. We want to show them love and honor as they serve. And, and it's important to note that as we get to the end of First Thessalonians, you, you may see that there's a heading that says final instructions. What Paul does here, this is probably, if not his earliest letter, maybe his second earliest letter that he's written in the New Testament, written in roughly 50 AD. Okay, This is how early the testimonies were to the person and work of Jesus Christ. What Paul does here as he ends the letter, as he gives a flurry of encouragements, a flurry of exhortations. What we have in verses 12 through 25 are roughly 20 commands or encouragements on how we are to live out our faith and especially how we are to live out our faith together as the church family. And so when Paul says, we ask you in verse 12, it carries a greater force than like, uh, hey, can you pass the salt, you know, when you're having lunch this afternoon? Or, hey, I want to ask you, can you give me a ride to the airport, right? I mean, we, we make these requests and we ask one another for things all the time. But, but when Paul says, we ask you, it's the same word that he uses in chapter 4, verse 1, when he says, we urge you to live in a way that is worthy of Jesus, there is, there is a seriousness about it. There is, there is an exhortation to this. And he urges them toward two related actions in relation to their leaders. First, he says that we are to respect them. And by the way, this, this applies to me as much as I am just one of our leaders. So I am taking these instructions and I'm applying them as I relate to our other pastors, as I relate to our other ministry leaders. He says to respect. Respect means, as my kids have learned in their school, I love this. When we respect someone, we recognize, honor, and protect the God-given value of other people. And, and the word respect here has the sense of recognizing or acknowledging their activities of leadership in the church. And I like what this teaches us. If we think a little deeply about what's going on here, this seems to imply that the leaders in the church were just ordinary people that were serving among the other ordinary people, so much so that the ordinary people who were not leading needed to be reminded that, hey, show some respect and love to your leaders because, after all, first and foremost, they are just followers of Jesus like you. And we love to say as pastors that as, as much as we're pastors and leaders in our church, we are members of this church first. We are simply followers of Jesus first. And so one way we might think about this practically uh, in, in applying uh, Paul's words is this is more about a mindset than, than even our, 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 our practices or our interactions because our mindset is going to help us in the way that we interact with one another. So for example, most of you know, if you've been a part of Redemption Hill 
very long. You know that Pastor Tanner or Pastor John or Pastor Reddy, who's coming back next week off a sabbatical, often go by our first names in our church, right? We, we operate on a first name basis and, and we're very cool with that. We love that. Most of you even probably take cues from me. I don't know if I was the one that coined it, but I started calling Pastor Reddy when he came to Redemption Hill Reddy because we already had a Pastor John and he's Pastor John Reddy. So I just started calling him Reddy. And now a lot of you call Pastor Reddy, Reddy, right? And you call John, John. And that's, that's good. That's wonderful. But, but, but if, if we don't step back and consider, hey, these are our pastors who are serving in these kind of ways. Sometimes the way that we even use language can, can uh, pull us back from offering the kind of honor that leaders deserve because of the work they do in the Lord. And, and Paul says not only respect them, but, but look at this. At the end of verse 13, he says, esteem them very highly in love. Paul here combines the verb consider. We're talking about considerate community. He combines the verb consider with the adverb that means beyond all measure. Okay, we saw this at the end of chapter three when Paul said, love one another all the more and to be overflowing in our love for one another. And so here Paul is saying, how you consider your, your leaders is to honor them in an overflowing manner, to honor them in a way that is beyond all measure. And he, we do this as an expression of Christ-like love. This is how we love our leaders. This is how we show that we appreciate them is by honoring them above all measure. You say, well, well, Pastor Tanner, why do we do this? Is this because they have a title? Is this because they've been given a certain position of leadership in the church? Is this because they are gifted or they've been, you know, maybe educated or trained for their particular roles? No. We, we honor and respect the leaders among us, pastors, directors, leaders, coaches. We, we honor them, Paul says, why? Because of their work. The focus is not on position or power. The focus is on how they serve. We live in a world that esteems people because of their position, right? And, and even Jesus' disciples, as they were walking with Jesus, they were saying, hey, Jesus, we want to sit at your right hand. In other words, we want the position of highest rank and highest power. And when they made that request of Jesus, what did Jesus say? Oh, you're thinking just like everyone else. Everyone wants the, the position of, of what is seen to be importance. But let me explain true greatness to you. True greatness in God's kingdom is not about having the highest position or rank. The true greatness in God's kingdom is taking the posture of humble service. He says, if you want to be great, you'll become the servant of all. And that is the kind of mindset and mentality that we want to operate with as leaders. I can't tell you how many times Pastor Reddy, for example, our other pastors and directors as well. I mean, we are, we are doing tasks that quite frankly are not that glorious. 
I mean, before Pastor Reddy left, let me use him as an example. You, you know what he was doing? He was making sure we were, had all of the water bottles stocked in the storage closet so that when the summer months hit and it's hot while he's on sabbatical, we have a cold water bottle to drink after church. What, what is that? Well, why do I bring that up? It's humble service. This is, this is how God esteems greatness in his kingdom. And none of us are above stacking a chair or setting up or tearing down or whatever the behind-the-scenes work of ministry is. Paul says honor and respect because of their work. Now, what characterizes a leader's leadership? And Paul gives us three descriptions here. Number one, he says they work hard. Look back at verse 12. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you. The word labor means to engage in difficult or even exhausting labor. Paul's already talked about their labor in chapter 2, verse 9, and chapter 3, verse 5. In 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about his own labor. He says, I labored. I worked harder than all of the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, he says, to this end we toil, we labor, struggling with all the energy that God provides so that we may present everyone mature in Jesus Christ. This is, this is what leaders are going after. They're, they're going after people becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And because that is the goal, they are willing to work hard, to get up, work long hours if necessary, to do the work, as Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 2, the, of, of a hard-working farmer. That's the kind of metaphor for ministry. Ministers are willing to break a sweat to, to make sacrifices for the good of others. Now, of course, we need times of rest. We need the Sabbath and, and, and take a, a weekly rhythm break. And, and we need times where we get away for, for vacation and rest and refreshment, of course. But the point is that ministry requires effort. Ministry requires sacrifice at times. We, we follow the ultimate leader of the church, Jesus Christ, who was the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, I shared 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8, that says, we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. That's one of my favorite verses, but here's another one. As I was preparing for ministry and, and understanding what it meant to, to do the work of, of ministry and pastoral ministry, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for the sake of your souls. I mean, think about the language, the wordplay. I'm going to spend. I am going to, to invest. I am going to pour in. And even at times, I am going to pour out so much that I am physically tired. That, that I'm like, I, I, I got to be honest. I don't have, thank God, I don't have a lot of trouble sleeping at night. And it's because, in part, I work hard. Our, our, our pastors, our leaders, we, we work hard, we rest well so we can continue to work hard for God and his people. But then number two, we, we not only work hard, we provide guidance and care. When, when Paul goes on and he says in verse 12, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, 
This word can refer to those who are recognized as providing leadership that guides others and flows from a God-given authority. But at the same time, the word can often be translated to refer to those who care for others. And here's what we need to acknowledge about leadership. Leadership in the way of Jesus requires both. It requires both. It's it's both guidance and care. It's leadership that is marked by love. And I, I love what Paul does here because, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to follow leadership, especially when we have different visions or different, you know, ideas of how things should be done. But, but what Paul says is, is this, that their leadership is, these three words, in the Lord. In the Lord. Christian leadership is not found in a person's strength. It's not found primarily in their skills or gifts. It's found in someone following Jesus with everything they've got and seeking to reflect him in all of their ways. That's leadership. If you want to be a leader in God's family, if you are a leader in God's family, this is the most important leadership lesson I think that I've learned in my journey in ministry and as one of the pastors of Redemption Hill Church is that ministry flows from identity and intimacy with God, not the other way around. So, 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 Who we are before God, listen, who we are in the Lord is what is most important about all of us and especially those who are serving in leadership because it's it's so tempting to, to focus so much on ministry, so much on serving others, so much on pouring out that all of the sudden we aren't focused on our identity in Christ or our intimacy with the Lord, but just the next thing to do. And so any leader worth following is a leader who understands who they are in Christ by the grace of God and one that is drawing on the well of their relationship with God, focusing on who they are before what they do. And these are the kind of leaders that we not only pray for, but are seeking to to develop and raise up in our church. If you want to be a part of this church family and this, this leadership team, it starts with who you are in the Lord before what we do for the Lord. And, and it's not lost on me. Listen, we, we've seen so, so many instances over the past several years of leaders in the church who have not continued running the race. So many leaders have dropped out. So many leaders have burned out. So many leaders have disqualified themselves. And you, you ask, why, why is that? Well, there's, there's not one reason there many reasons that we won't get into all of them, but, but I would venture to say without knowing all of the stories that, that this one thing, this one focus, that our lives are 
in the Lord, that our leadership is in the Lord, that our ministry flows out of our identity and our intimacy with God, there is a high probability that for many of these leaders, especially those who disqualified themselves by the way they led, by the way they acted, by the way they treated people, they moved away from their first love. The greatest way you can pray for me, the greatest way you can pray for our pastors, our directors, our leaders, your group leader, your team leaders, is to say, God, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Keep them close to you above everything before they preach a good sermon or sing a good song or lead an effective team huddle. What's most important is that we seek God and his kingdom first. This is why as we talk about the seven pursuits of a disciple, the the first one is the most important. We seek God daily with passion and joy. If we seek God daily with passion and joy as leaders, that positions us to surrender daily to the leadership of the spirit, to, to follow God as we're, I mean, any leader worth following is one that's being led by the spirit of God. This is kind of leaders that, We want to be. And then finally, not only providing guidance and care, but also speaking, warning, and correction. There are times in our lives, listen, because last time I checked, none of us are perfect. Last time I checked, all of us are sinful. Last time I checked, we all have places where we need to be corrected back to a better course of action. And this is what Paul means when he says, these leaders who are over you in the Lord, who are caring for your soul, at times they are going to admonish you. That means to to warn or to correct. And and this this is inherent to the very nature of Scripture. Listen, God is over everything and everyone, and God sees it all, So he knows before you step foot on that path, where that path is going to lead. And so he's saying in his word to understand that certain paths, certain actions are going to lead you to places that you do not want to go. They are not paths of life. They are paths of destruction. And so God warns us. He says, listen, you don't want to step there. You don't want to go there. You don't want to follow that path. No, I have a better plan for you, a better path. And this is how we operate as leaders. We, we, we point out error. We, we, we help bring corrective action to a better course, the course of life. On Father's Day, I have to reflect on my dad just for a minute. I'm thankful for a dad. You want to talk about a leader. My my dad was a leader, a leader of people, uh, not just as a basketball coach, but just as a person. And he was, as a father, someone who spoke words of life into me and someone who helped me see potential and possibility. He spoke life and vision into me from the earliest age. And yet I am also thankful for a dad who loved me enough to correct me when I was wrong. Who who knew that at times I needed discipline to see the error of my ways so that I would follow a better path that was going to be what was best for me. 
he loved me enough to help me see what was going to harm me. And this is how we want to operate as leaders in God's church. So let's just pause and step back for a minute. What do we learn here about leadership? Number one, leadership is not found primarily in a title or position, but in humble service. This is leadership in God's church. But then as we see leaders, pastors, directors, coaches, leaders who are leading with humility, working hard, providing guidance and care, even admonishment when it is needed, we are to esteem them highly and show our appreciation for the service and sacrifices that they make. And as one of the pastors of Redemption Hill, I want to say that I am so thankful for a church that consistently honors and respects your leaders. We experience honor and respect and appreciation through your words of encouragement. We experience honor through your prayers. I mean, I can't tell you how uplifting and strengthening it is for me to check in with one of you and say, how's life? How's it going? How can I support you? How can I encourage you? How can I pray for you? And then countless times, I even had a conversation with one of our music team members this morning checking on me. It's like, pastor, how are you doing? Pastor, how can I pray for you? This is a way that we honor and respect and show Love, you honor us with vacation time and sabbatical breaks after years of service. Pastor Eddie, again, we'll be back next Sunday. And you, listen, you honor us by recognizing that we are human beings with real weaknesses, real flaws, who are also growing in grace just like you. And so again, as one of the pastors of Redemption, I want to say thank you. Thank you for how you respect us, how you honor us. We feel highly esteemed as leaders in our church. So so Paul first covers how we relate to our leaders, but then he moves to instructions on how we relate to and care for one another. Look at the end of verse 13 through verse 15. He says this, be at peace among yourselves, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. He, He begins and says, seek to be at peace among yourselves. God wants us to experience harmonious relationships. Not rocky, not contentious, but walking in step with one another as we humbly seek mutual understanding. But then he goes on and he talks about specific ways that we are to care for one another. Uh, We love asking this question in our church just to help us really gain perspective about how a church should operate. Okay, listen, here's the question. Whose responsibility is it to care for people in the church? Whose responsibility is it to care for people in the church? 
Now, now a lot of times, intuitively, we're going to think, right, what? Pastors, right? Pastors are the ones who care for the church. Leaders, group leaders. It's my group leader. I don't feel cared for because my leader isn't a very caring leader. Even though they've got 25 people to care for on a week-in, week-out basis. Now, now listen, of course leaders need to set an example. Of course leaders need to build and facilitate a culture of care where people are being equipped to care. But the primary responsibility for caring people in the church are the people of the church. It's our responsibility to care for one another. Yes, pastors, we, we have pastors to, to know and, and care for and, and reach out and follow up with and be there and be present in times of need. But, but we are only setting a pace and an example. But I love to see how our, our people, the people of Redemption Hill, particularly through our community groups, we see this all the time, how people are caring for and serving and walking alongside one another. This is God's vision for us. And as we do so, as we provide this care for one another, we need to recognize that each person has specific needs at specific times. Not everyone needs the same type of care. Not everyone needs the same word in the same season. In fact, sometimes a person may need the same word, but they might need it in two different ways in two different seasons. And so this is what care should look like in the church. I want to I want to share just a framework with with you today and I, I really want you to walk out of here and and be able to to understand, not just understand it but to know it and internalize it, okay? So I want you to repeat this after me, okay? Enter, understand, bring. All right? Can we work, can we do that together? Enter, understand, bring. We're just working warming up here. Let's do it again. Enter, understand, bring. Now, now say it like you're preaching, all right? Enter, understand, bring. That's better, okay? What are we talking about? This is, this is how we can extend personal care to one another. Number one, we want to enter the person's world. We want to spend time with them. We want to ask open-ended questions. We want to be active listeners to, to really be present and begin to, 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 to relate to them in such a way that is going to set the stage for us understanding the person's need, right? So we, we enter their world, we understand their needs. Uh, just like I saw a post uh, this week from a friend that said this, everyone is fighting a battle that you do not know about. And, and what that is saying is, is, is not that we, we can't have mutual understanding. It's not to say that you haven't been where people have been before, but, but what it's saying is everyone has junk in their life. Amen? Everyone has struggles. Amen? We all have pain points in our lives. Nobody's life is perfect. We all need care. 
And, and how we discover how we can care for one another is we enter our friend's world and we understand what they need. And then, and I would say only then, we bring the person to Jesus and his truth. Now, now why is this so important? This is, this is why it's important. And, and believe me, I speak from personal experience, all right? So often, as we really want to care for the people around us, we actually don't care as well as we could have because we skip a step. So, so this, this, is, this is true in part because some of us are problem solvers, right? It's like, hey, you have a problem. I'm just going to help you figure it out. And sometimes it's rooted in a good motivation, like we care so much for the person that we really want to help them figure out the solution to what is bringing them pain. And this is even, listen, this is even sometimes even more difficult for those of us who really love the Bible and really love Jesus. Not that I'm speaking of myself here, but... but, but because what we, we know that if someone is worried, we can give you 15 verses on not to be worried before we even understand what's going on. And love says, listen, s- slow down. Enter the person's world. Listen, we can be theologically correct and relationally and emotionally incorrect. And I've, I've, done, I've, I've done this in my marriage. I've done this as, hey, happy Father's Day. I've done this as a dad. One of my daughters is upset. What does dad want to do? I want to fix the problem. I don't want to see tears. I want to see smiles. And so I, I toss a truth out, and it wasn't the time for the truth. It was, it was time for a hug. We want to think before we speak, not speak before we think. And Paul gives us a case study here on what this can look like. He, he talks about people in different situations with different pain points, and he gives different directions based on where they are. First off, he says, admonish the idol. As we've seen, this means to, to provide a word of warning or correction. And the word idle here, sometimes you may even see a footnote in your Bible. If you have a different translation, it may say unruly or undisciplined. Um, The NIV even combines the two and says, warn those who are idle and disruptive, capturing both senses. And and again, what this is saying is that there are times when people are not walking in the ways of Jesus. Certainly the context of 1 Thessalonians, we saw in the the middle of chapter 4 that there were some people who were freeloading off others and they weren't working with their hands. They weren't being responsible for themselves. And Paul says, you need to bring a word of correction because they have the ability to work, but they're being lazy. And so they need a word of correction. We need people to come alongside of us and help us see God's better plan and path. Because not only this, and not only are we sinful people, but sometimes we just simply have blind spots. This, this weekend, we remember not just Father's Day, but uh, tomorrow we celebrate Juneteenth. 
the, the time when the, the final slaves in Texas who hadn't heard that they had been emancipated, how the, they had been freed, finally got the news on June 19th. And if you were a part of our church a few years ago, you heard me stand up and say, listen, I, I have been a person for most of my life who was not, by God's grace, a racist, not someone who is even, I would say, racially indifferent, but someone who is more of a racial reconciler. In other words, it's like, hey, I love everybody. I want everyone to get along. Everyone is welcome at our table. Everyone is welcome in our church. But I have to keep it real and say there were blind spots for me in terms of pursuing racial justice. So it's one thing to be a racial reconciler. It's another thing to be a racial justice seeker. And that was a, I needed people. And thank God for, for friends, African-American friends who didn't come alongside of me and chastise me and say, Tanner, where you been? You had an opportunity to lead in a different way. But, but they, they corrected me and helped me see in a way that the Bible talks about in Galatians chapter one. Listen, if we're going to admonish others, if we're going to, to, to help give a word of warning to any person in any kind of sin, be it idleness or whatever, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 shows us the way. Listen, it says this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So, so you see, see this is, we don't come as better than the other person. We don't come with a judgmental spirit. No, we, we come as someone who is a fellow struggler too who needs help, who is not above any kind of sinful thought or lifestyle. But we say, listen, God has a, God has a better plan for you. And listen, I've been there and I've struggled in, in different areas of my life and I want to walk with you. I want to help you. How can, I, how can I be part of the solution? Paul says, first admonish the idle. Then he says, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. There are going to be times in our life, be it work, be it family, relationships, ministry, parenting, where we just feel a little weary. In fact, there are going to be times where we feel a lot weary. There are times where we feel like giving up, where we feel like we can't take one more step. And it seems that there were people clearly in the, the church of Thessalonica where they were, they were tired. They were weary. Perhaps it was because of misguided expectations about the return of Jesus. Maybe it was because loved ones had died. For others, it was probably because they were being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. And they needed words of encouragement. Listen, we need to understand that one of Satan's greatest tools against God's people is discouragement. He will whisper lies to you all day long. He'll say things like, God doesn't care. No one understands your situation. You're not going to make it through this. Have you, have you ever heard these voices? Have you ever had these thoughts? And God says, look, I've, I've given you people who are actually 
this is crazy. In Christ, spiritually, they're your brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, what, we look out for one another, right? We love one another. We, we step up and go to bat for each other. When someone's struggling, we, we come alongside and say, how can I help you? I'm here for you. Let me encourage you. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that you won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I mean, every day we need to encourage one another. We need to help one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, let us consider, talking about considerate community, let us consider how we might stir one another up toward love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some. This is why I'm a bigger believer in worshiping in person than online. Hey, if you can't make it, you're sick, you're traveling, whatever, please worship online. But know that there is no replacement for gathering together because we need to be in one another's presence to encourage one another, to speak words of life. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the day of Christ, his return drawing near. We admonish the idle, we encourage the faint-hearted, and then we help the weak. We help the weak. We don't know if these people were physically weak or emotionally weak or spiritually weak. It's likely that Paul could be referring to any type of weakness that we experience. And he says, for those who are weak among you, go offer them some help. I like the way the NLT puts it. It says, take tender care of those who are weak. And, and listen, when we, when we admit that we're weak, when we admit that we're a little tired and we could just use some encouragement and some strength, when we're willing to say, hey, I, I, I really need you to do X, Y, or Z, we are actually giving other people in our midst an opportunity to embody the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because fundamentally, listen, you, you will never, this is theologically true, you will never experience the gospel until you say, I am weak. Until you stand before God and say, God, I have turned away from you and that has left me spiritually dead, spiritually weak. I think about Romans chapter 5, even as I'm sharing with this with you right now. What, is it, what does it say? It says in verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us while we were weak. The weak person says, I need a hand, help me up. And this is exactly what Jesus does for us in the gospel. And now this is what we do for one another. Again, I think back to my community group experience over the past eight to nine months, and I love, we have story after story after story of people saying, I know what you're going through, and I am here for you. 
I am going to show up. I am going to not just pray for you, but I, and that's important. Let's not forget prayer, but I'm going to pray for you and I am going to spend time with you. I'm going to deliver a meal when you just have so much going on that you can't even make your own food. These are the kinds of ways that we can help one another and help the weak. And Paul says in all of this, listen, whether we're talking about the idle or the faint-hearted or the weak, he says, be patient with everyone. Be long-suffering. Be, be, be like those who are so showing the fruit of the Spirit that we are saying, look, I am willing to walk with you as long as it takes until you're strengthened, until you're encouraged, until you are walking in the ways of Christ. This is so important for a church, especially a church as diverse as Redemption Hill. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different experiences. We come from different perspectives. Even at times, we come from different convictions. And that's okay. But we need to be patient with one another. And Paul says, not only does everyone need patient, but patience, but everyone needs mercy. We don't repay evil for evil, but we repay evil with good. And in all of these ways, admonishing the idle, encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak, being patient with them all, repaying good for the evil that we've experienced. In all of this, we reflect our perfect heavenly father who does all of this for us. And so as we bring our time to a close, listen, I have one simple challenge for you this week. I want you to consider one person. Maybe God would bring them to your mind right now. Maybe as we were talking about someone who is weak, someone who is faint-hearted, someone who is idle, that, that God's already brought them to your mind. But, but if not, listen, pray about it. Have your eyes open this week to the people around you and their circumstances and their, their soul condition. And I want to encourage you and challenge you to apply this inter-understand-bring framework to enter their world, to understand their needs, and to bring them to Jesus and his truth. And I'm telling you, listen, family, you can be an agent of change. You can be the answer that God is bringing to the point of their pain and their problems. And so let's pray into that as we bring our time in God's word to a close. Father, we ask, God, that this week you would help us live with eyes wide open to see the, the people around us, Lord, not just uh, for, 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 for the, the superficial surface level things going on in their life, but God, there are real people, there are real coworkers, there are real neighbors, there are real family members, there are real people in our group and church and teams, Lord, that, that need your grace. And God, you've placed us in their lives to enter their world, understand their needs, and bring the life and love of Jesus to their heart and situation. And so God, help us to do that, Lord. However imperfectly we do that, God, help us to step out with considerate love and say, I care about you. I want to walk with you. I want to be a part of God's grace to you as we walk together to see you move toward a better place. 
So God, we lift this up as we reflect on the life and the death of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.